Welcome to the Throwing Shade edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. It's not often that our political leader's dirty laundry is aired out in public, but when it happens, it's hard to look away. This week, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney faced another leadership challenge, this time from rotting associations within his own party. It came the same day Prime Minister Trudeau came to town for a childcare announcement, and the two were not shy about making it clear they did not see eye to eye on, well, just about everything. From Trudeau's recent pledge to cap oil and gas emissions to Kenny's dissatisfaction with Alberta's childcare deal, the pair were not shy about foreshadowing the underlying tensions between Alberta and the federal government. Our guest this week is Jen Gerson. She's a resident Albertan, a prominent Canadian writer and founder of The Line, a fantastic publication that I encourage you all to check out that prides itself on calling out illiberalism, hypocrisy, and bullshit wherever they find it. She joins us this week with special insights into these leaders' shady exchanges. This is Political Traction. All right, Jen Gerson, friend of the podcast, back again. Have you baked any cakes since we last chatted? Uh, yes, yes, I have. I've baked any, several cakes. Any flaming fruit cakes or anything that we need to? Was it a success? Was it a big rousing oh, thing? No, or that's that- that's my Christmas pudding. I'm getting started on my Christmas pudding <laughs> uh, in short order. Actually, this year's Christmas pudding is going to be amazing. It takes six weeks to make. So it was, it was quite the story, by the way, uh, listeners. And I will um we'll put it in the notes which episode it was. But you have to go to the end to hear Jen's story about her cake making, um, which also sounded delicious, even though it sits for six weeks, which I find very very it's, it strange. It sits for six weeks, six weeks, and takes a lot of brandy, and then gets set on fire i mean it's you know it's a very traditional taste is what i would say there we go um well we have jen here because i uh she's in well are you a native albertan or are you just a transplanted oh, Albertan? uh no i was actually i was born in calgary but i was mostly raised in bc and then i was schooled in ontario and then i returned back okay um and so with all the news happening in alberta the child care deal uh the threat to jason kenny's leadership you know my question off the top to you and not say for work listeners, but like, what the fuck is happening in Alberta? Like what's going on? What's okay. always happening in Alberta. And that is the never ending ceaseless soap opera. That is our political scene that has been our, <laughs> and has been a ceaseless soap opera since 2012. We went from being like the least interesting province to the most bizarre, crazy, like can't pull your eyes away train wreck for the last 10 years. It's been amazing. But like, and why, because it's interesting, right? You had this stability for so long with premiers and then all of a sudden it just seems to be like, you can't keep anyone for longer than a term. Like you just eat them alive. So yes, because it's the poison. This province is the poison chalice. It's the poison chalice. (laughs) So unpack that. Why is it? Oh, well, um, there's a couple of interesting reasons. I mean, I think that a lot of it has to t- is tied to resource revenue. In fact, um, y- you know, part of the reason why we had like a 44 year, year regime of, of progressive conservative rule was tied to the fact that we had a significant amount of our, our um, income coming into provincial coffers was coming from resource revenue. So people got relatively high quality services without real cuts and without high taxes. Who, what's where's the complaint you know sounds what I mean? like, me. how, like <laughs> sounds good to me like like you know um you know we didn't have a labor strife because there was no need for labor strife because we could always afford to pay a little bit more 
Um, and it's not, not to say that we didn't have ups and downs and debts and, you know, Ralph Klein paid, paid off the debt in 2005 and all of that stuff. But ultimately, we just didn't have the same financial pressures that a lot of other provinces had. And so there was a general sense that, well, you know, as long as all the pigs are getting their fill at the trough, there's really no reason to, to change course. Um, I think a lot of conservatives in Alberta attribute the long success of progressive conservative to some kind of conservative ideology. I don't think that that bears a lot or stands up to a lot of historical scrutiny. I, I actually think that a lot of it is tied to the fact that we're a resource, um, a lot of our, of our programs are funded by resource revenue. And I mean, you see the same kind of political stability in a lot of different sort of nation states that have the same kind of uh, revenue mix. So Gulf states, for example, so where you're getting tons and tons of um, government spending paid for through resource royalties, you know, you have a high degree of political stability, even though you're having a high degree of sort of political repression at the same time. Um, you know, when times are good, things are fine. And times have been good in Alberta for a really long time. What changed 10 years ago is that the times got not good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, with, like, like, like the, 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 the resource revenue started to become really, really volatile. Um, so, you know, there were still good years, but there were still bad years. We, we ran through the savings account. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, we had successive premiers who had to confront the fact that we have extremely high spending on programs and, and very high wages in particular. So I think like half of our budget goes to wages that are way above where the rest of the country sits for things like the cost of teachers and doctors and nurses and all the rest. Um, cutting those wages is incredibly difficult. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Albertans just aren't willing to pay their own freight. You know, we've become conditions after three generations to essentially not having to pay our own costs. You know, to give you a perspective on this, Albertans don't take in as enough in taxes to pay our own healthcare spending. That, I did not know that. It's wild, right? Yeah. Um, like literally just our healthcare spending. We don't take in enough in, in taxes from our citizens to do that. So how do you pay for everything now? You just go into debt? Yes. Uh, resources, uh, transfers from Ottawa and debt is how essentially we pay for everything. Huh. Um, and we're going, going into debt at an extraordinary rate. So um, that's the situation. And that has been sort of the underlying instability in all of this. And of course, when the resource royalty starts to go uh, down, um, this is usually con connected to larger macroeconomic cycles about what's happening to the economy as a whole. I think 100,000 jobs in Alberta are directly connected to the oil and gas sector. So it's, it's a huge economy. It's not quite as huge as, as I think people think it is. It's not all encompassing. Like there are other economic sectors in Alberta, agriculture and, and manufacturing and all the rest, but, but it's, a, it's a big one. Um, and I think, I don't know what the number is now, but it's like, it's anywhere between 10 and 20% of GDP is tied to, is tied to oil and gas. So it's like, it's not 70%. We're not a petrostate, but it's, it's a very significant jump. So when, you know, the oil and gas starts to go down, the jobs start to go down, people start to become unemployed at a fairly high rate. Um, keep in mind, even when our unemployment rate is high, it, it's, it looks better than it is because we also have a very young demographic. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of young people out of work in particular. Um, there are other structural issues where, you know, traditionally speaking, uh, we are, we are undereducated relative to other provinces in the country because, um, you know, you've always been able to maximize your economic potential by just going into um, yeah. sands early. Uh, so like, there's a lot of these sorts of underlying structural factors here. And when the, 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 the oil and gas industry starts to become volatile, the political structure becomes volatile with it. Nobody wants to accept serious cuts in our services and nobody wants to pay more taxes. So how do you circle the square, right? That is something that no um, Alberta 
Premier has really been able to figure out over the last 10 years. And as a result, we've, we've seen an enormous amount of political instability as a result of it. And Jason Kenney specifically, like I watched him in Ottawa when I worked there. I mean, he was an incredibly capable minister. Um, I think people saw him sort of ascend to be premier and thought, okay, he'll do this. And then he'll probably set his sights on prime minister. Um, he's certainly run into the buzzsaw of that lack of squared circle, as you womp, mentioned. Womp, womp. <laughs> but, or like, There's obviously unique characteristics to why, like, so what, they've got the United UCP, that convention is happening, starts on Friday, I believe of this week. Mm-hmm. So as this comes out, um, so what, what's happening around him? Cause he's at, I think less than 20% approval rating, 22, something. Yeah, he's got the there. lowest approval rating in the country. So, so what's got, going on there? But you've got two things going on simultaneously. One is that the uh, shotgun marriage of the Wild Rose party and the PC party uh, has, was never really totally fully consummated. Um, there were there's still two two distinct flavors of conservative in Alberta. One is the progressive conservative flavor, and one is the Wild Rose flavor. One is the Peter Lougheed flavor, the other is the Ralph Klein flavor of conservative. This is oversimplifying, but essentially these are these uh, groups have become increasingly uneasy bedfellows, um, and that's why what caused the original split of the Wild Rose Party back in 2008, I believe, right? 2008, mm, long time. Anyway, um, that, that was why the parties originally split, which is what allowed Rachel Notley's NDP to win in 2015. So Jason Kenney comes in and, and says, I'm gonna reunite these groups that actually now hate each other. Um, and everybody was like, hey, are you though? <laughs> like, really? He does it. He manages to successfully pull it off. Political miracle on the prairies, but it's pretty clear that it, it now in hindsight, it was only pulled off because people just thought that Jason Kenney was going to come in and say that fix everything. He was just, yeah. he was so capable. He could just fix it. Okay. Second problem. When he gets elected in 2019, he massively overpromises what he can deliver. He says the socialists are the response are responsible for um, Alberta's downturn. When I come into power, I'm going to like take the fight to Ottawa, I'm gonna start a war room, I'm gonna do an inquiry into like all these environmentalists who are trying to bring us down. Like he, he absolutely is speaking to the most atavistic emotions of, 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 of like the dark conservative base, right? And he, and he, and he implicitly sets up, sets up a, a, an expectation there. Put me in power, I'm gonna fix all your economic problems, we're gonna be 1999 again, it's all gonna be great. Right, the, we, well, our problems aren't caused by the by the collapse in the oil prices. Our problems are caused because we put a bunch of socialists in power. Right, like like that's that's the message that he's giving off. Of course, he gets elected and fixes nothing. Turns out, just to, just chopping a couple of percentage points off the corporate tax rate did not bring companies back into Alberta. Um, plans to actually bring companies into Calgary to replace the declining oil and gas sector didn't actually come to anything for factors that are a little sort of beyond his control. Turns out, um, you know, being premier of Alberta didn't carry with it the degree of respect, status, and heft around the rest of the world that I think that Kenny expected it to. Um, nobody cares. Like, nobody cares. Um, and also, there was a mass exodus of oil and gas head offices, um, and those people never came back. Like, they were just like, nah, screw it, we're out, we're relocating to Houston, and there's no reason for them to come back. So 
uh, oh yeah, the war room turned out to be a disaster for reasons I've written about, and the Allen inquiry into um, uh, environmental sort of the, the environmental crusade against us turned out to be exactly what everybody already knew it was. Like it was just, it's been one kind of like over an overpromise, underdeliver example after another, headed by people who are a bit more parochial than they understand themselves to be. So they don't understand that they don't have the clout and influence that they imagine themselves to have. Um, and the whole strategy of just like taking the fight to Ottawa doesn't work if you don't have any actual leverage and they don't. So these were the fundamental problems. Oh, and then the economy didn't bounce back. The, the yeah. oil and gas didn't bounce back. The economy didn't come back. All the same problems were existing post-socialist that existed pre-socialist and uh, nothing got fixed. So these were the issues that, that Kenny was facing rolling into COVID and then COVID happens. And then what happens is you, the internal caucus starts to fracture along the old PC and Wildrose lines. So you've got the, the conservatives who are a bit more libertarian in bent saying like, we shouldn't be shutting everything down because of COVID. And some of them, you know, take this to a sort of an anti-mask, anti-vax space, certainly. And then you've got like the, the more the PC side, the, the more gentle side being like, well, I mean, we have to do something. We can't just let it all fall apart. And this internal conflict, basically, you've got Kenny in the middle trying to manage both of these sides of his caucus and pleasing neither of them. So he winds up being like the one guy in the valley of death alone. Um, fixing none of the problems that he promised to fix going in and having all of the underlying in, in, uh, systemic back fractures of like the conservative movement, movement fraying before him um, and he can't manage it. And I'm not sure anybody could have, but he certainly didn't. And like you brought in the pandemic and I was going to ask you, do you think, because obviously like the systemic issues you've outlined were faced by Rachel Notley, were faced by Alison Redford, were faced by like, that's not a Jim Prentice. Like that's not a new thing. And it's all sort of brought them down in different ways, right? This is yeah. not a, like, that's not a Jason Kenny screw up. That's just like a, this no, place. Nobody, the- nobody actually has the balls to just put in a, put in a sales tax. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like everybody keeps on saying, if we put in a sales tax, that's going to be the political end of me. Three months later, their, their political lives are over anyway. Like, yeah. you know, like, that's the problem. But do you think without the pandemic, could he have, I, I'm, I'm asked, like, this is obviously hypotheticals. Could he have popsicle stick and glued together his coalition long enough to get a reelection? Or do you think it's like, everybody's a one-term wonder until they really tackle this thing and somebody has to do it like McGinty did, which is like, bring in the, bring in a sales tax here in Ontario. Like somebody needs to, yeah, bite this I, I think that's a really interesting question. And I don't know if I can even answer that because it's such a counterfactual, right? Like, how do we, how do we, deal with COVID. He would have had the same fundamental problems. Um, I don't know how much longer the UCP coalition would have held together just because of sort of internal dynamics. Um, And he didn't get results. So like he didn't fix it. So like, I I think he would be in trouble, but COVID just catalyzed all of these problems to such an extent that, that he, you know, maybe he could have squeaked out a second term. And now I don't think he can win a leadership review. Yeah. Like, do you think like there is the convention? There's this, the thing that happened. The other thing, reason we're talking this week, obviously is the, um, 22, I think, uh, riding associations have banded together to the day of the child, the big childcare announcement. Hey, I got billions out of Ottawa. Also my own party is trying to stab me in the back, which surprises no one. If you're a conservative watcher um, at all, but, uh, do you think he survives? 
Um, okay, so the the I think that the challenge at the upcoming convention is that there is now there are now enough constituency associations um, on board to try and force an early leadership review. So the previously prior to this, what had happened is that he had agreed to a leadership review uh, in March of yeah. next year. Yeah, and um, I think with the expectation that looks a little, we just need a little more time, a little more time, a little more time, things will smooth over, things will smooth over. COVID's now over in Alberta, and COVID does genuinely appear to be mostly over in Alberta. As bad as the last few weeks have been, you know, the virus appears to have kind of burned itself through. I don't know if that's happened, but that seems to be what's happening. So as a result, um, I think that there was a hope that if we can just get to March, COVID will be over things will start to turn around, oil and gas start to turn around, you know, the external factors will would look more in Kenny's favor. Um, and I think that there is enough just anger at the constituency level that they're just like, nope, out now, goodbye. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to make predictions because in Alberta, you never make predictions. That's the kind of rule about Alberta. Alberta's weird. Alberta's delightfully, delightfully weird. Um, but if they have enough constituency associations on board to force an early review, he's going to be in trouble. He's going to be in trouble. I think it's going to be pretty close. And then the question is, is there another review in March? Right? There are going to be two? Why, why not? Oh, man. I didn't like, think about I that. Know. I figured there would just be like, one and that would be it. But why yeah. Why would you do it the easy way when you're Alberta and you could do it twice? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, who, but, I don't, but I don't know, right? Yeah. I mean, you know. Kenny doesn't have total control over this party. Yeah. Right. And he doesn't have total control over his caucus. Do you think just out of curiosity, because a lot of the, like Alberta really was the butt of like, I mean, it was Quebec for a bit and then it was Ontario as a disaster. Then it was like, everyone likes to, but everyone likes to, I think, pick on Alberta or shit talk Alberta, especially in the East. Um, you had a lot of similar policies that BC did, but for whatever reason, not same COVID results or whatever we want to say. Do you think Alberta gets got a bit of a, a, like a bum rap through the COVID management, or do you think all of it was like well-earned given you, you lived uh, through the Yeah, I, I think, I think that if you were to analyze Alberta's response to Saskatchewan, BC, Manitoba, you would find that there wasn't a lot of difference between these jurisdictions. Yeah, that was um, my or, sense. Or too. there was, or there was a, the, 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 the difference was a matter of days, maybe a week. Like mm-hmm. it, the, if you were to do point for point, it wasn't radically different. Where Alberta really screwed up was in its open for summer plan. Uh, it was there was a broad assumption that uh, if once we got to that magical seventy percent threshold, um, we could open up and it was going to be okay. Mathematically, it was all going to be okay. And Alberta wasn't alone in thinking that the seventy percent threshold is where it was. Okay, so like it, Alberta was not unique in this. A lot of jurisdictions thought that seventy percent was the magic number where we could start to to ease off. What, where we screwed up was in twofold. One, politically and how this open for summer issue was framed. Alberta didn't put any caveats or Kenny didn't put any caveats on the open for summer um, thing. It wasn't like, we're going to try to open for summer and see how things go. It was, we're open for summer now for good, yeehaw. Um, So that was his first political mistake. He didn't manage expectations. Again, you see that theme appearing with Kenny a lot, managing expectations. Uh, And then the other problem was that even though we did reach that 70% threshold, we did not reach that 70% threshold evenly. Um, You know, Alberta's got some inherent cultural differences from a lot of places in the country. We have sort of um, a patchwork of cultural and religious groups, particularly outside the cities, that have different attitudes toward things like vaccination. 
you know, we've got strong Hutterite communities, Mennonite communities, Mormon communities um, that are quite close knit. Uh, they're quite, um, uh, how should I say this? Insular? Social, insular, yeah, they, they're quite insular and they have their own attitudes towards things, their own way of doing things, so to speak. So you can go, you know, an hour south of Calgary and be in a very different world. Um, and an hour north of Edmonton and be a very different world, you know, use Ukrainian and French and like the, the, the communities are very, are very patchwork in a way that I don't think you get in a lot of other places in the country. And some of these communities, well, you know, Calgary and Edmonton had vaccination rates of 70%, 80%, whatever. Um, some of these communities in the rural areas had vaccination rates as low as like 30, 14, 40. Like, you know, you could go and do this by, by, by spot and realize what was going on. So obviously having these sorts of patchwork communities that had these low vaccination rates allowed the virus to take hold in these communities and keep the the, res the reserve of, 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 of people and virus going at a rate that wasn't expected previously. And so when we had to do this backflop, flop, the, okay, I guess we're closed for summer, closed, open for summer, closed for fall. Um, when we had to do the backflop, the back, um, flop, it was a very dramatic reversal and it was a very traumatic reversal. And it was accompanied by very close, um, you know, I, effectively, I think we did do some triaging effect, I think um, some doctors were claiming we're effectively doing triaging, uh, which I think was was a very unacceptable bar for a lot of people in this in this in this province. And of course, there weren't the resources from other provinces to help us. It was just they just they just didn't have it. Um, you know, the flip side to all of this is that, you know, because Alberta did manage that wave without dramatic lockdowns, mask, um, masking was reinstated and some social distancing. And of course the vaccine mandates were imposed, but uh, we didn't do strong or heavy lockdowns after that point, there was no circuit break, nothing like that. And, you know, the virus burnt itself out. Um, you know, our, our COVID numbers went down and they're now fairly plateaued or troughed. Whether or not we will see that change over the holidays, I don't know. But my suspicion is that essentially the, the virus is, is kind of done here in a way that it may not be done in other places that took more restrictive measures over, yeah. over the last few months. That is the outstanding question for me. Um, and that is also why, you know, there was a chance that Kenny might not look so bad in March, right? Like if, 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 if Ontario is seeing their COVID rates go through the roof, well, and whereas Alberta has been over for COVID for the last three or four months and we had a nice Christmas, all of a sudden, the 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 more less restrictive policies maybe don't seem like such a bad idea in hindsight, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't know. That's a guess. That's a, just a, just a wild shot in the dark guess of where things are at. And I know we're we're running out of time, but I did want to talk about this fabulous press conference that happened this week. So we had yeah. we had uh, not just Prime Minister Trudeau, but he had Freeland was there. He had the it was like everybody bought it was like the the Jets and the Sharks each brought their crew. Um, they had the press conference and then I, I ended up having to talk about it. So I watched, I watched like a bunch of it. It was, it was very comical, um, in that, you know, here's PM Trudeau with his many, many billions. Obviously they're not very overly fond of one another. And then they're subtweeting one another throughout, or like, you know, the premise would be like, yes, we're going to work on climate change and blah, blah, blah. And this policies. And he named it like, I don't think he deliberately omitted provinces, but who knows, and then Kenny's like, I noticed that you omitted provinces and they just basically fighting with each other and, and in French, by the way, and very ably. Kenny's very good in French. Um, so what did you, I thought it was, 
I mean, I kind of think at least here, like we seem to put our swords away for like multi-billion dollar announcements in Ontario, but obviously not the case in Alberta. I mean, does that thing sell? Is that why he was yes. out there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. I mean, like, like you are never going to, uh, uh, lose any points in Alberta by being mean to Justin Trudeau. That's never, <laughs> that is never going to be a bad strategy for you. Even when Justin Trudeau is giving you billions, of course, he's going to say, well, finally got some of that money back. We've been sending you. I mean, like, of course he is like, this is not, so both sides here need, need to work together because bluntly Justin Trudeau needs to be able to demonstrate success for his daycare plan. And in order to do that, he needs to bring Alberta on board and Alberta needs the money. So like, I, you know, that's, that's, or they're happy to take the money. And if there's money on the table, why wouldn't you take it? Right. But at the same time, once you have, once again, you have, you know, the premier of Alberta wanting to act like a tough guy without having the leverage to follow through. Right. That's just fundamentally the problem. Like you don't, what leverage? Okay, your leverage here is to not take four billion dollars. Great, good, good, good job, everybody. Like, yeah, well, we saw like so Scott Mo, right? Scott Mo came out like uh, like Saskatchewan be true as a nation. Like I did it on my show last week, and we kind of like I joked around about it a little bit. But bottom line, I do think that the West is not treated as seriously as it should be because there's not the vote. It's not vote rich yeah, for the liberals. There of course, there's like there, there's no there, there can be no illusions here that it's easy to shit on the West because we don't have the votes. Like, like, of course, of course um, that's the case. But I think at I mean, least with, with you guys, like there's some willingness, like you would take your shit and leave, right? Like, and I think economically, well, we want a minute or not as a country, that's a problem. I think if, like, if, if Saskatchewan took off or Manitoba took off, we'd probably be like, huh? Like, like, which is not a nice thing to say, obviously. But so like you, so you thought for that press conference, like I knew that attacking Trudeau would like be like, would I'm sure please his base, which of which he needs to appeal to obviously he's in the leadership, but the, the, just the tone of it struck me as very strange, but I guess that's why I'm not an Albertan. And to you, that just seemed perfectly reasonable that they just like invite each other over for dinner and then just like, like threw shit at each other, threw fruit at each oh, other. No, 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 not reasonable, just not, not, uh, unsurprising. <laughs> no, it's very unsurprising. I mean, like every, every press conference with Trudeau and Kenny in the same room is like this. Like, I remember there was one that was just before the open for summer plan and Jason Penny was like at his press conference, no mask. And like Tr Justin Trudeau shows up with a mask and makes a big show of taking it off to get in front of him. And like the look, <laughs> the look on Kenny's face, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was really great. But I mean, the problem is like, like, like the problems between Alberta and the, and the rest of Canada and central Canada, I think are serious systemic problems. And I think they're intractable. And I certainly don't think that they're going to be resolved or ameliorated with the, with the personalities on, on offer, right? I mean, the fact that Justin Trudeau went to Glasgow and was like, we're going to do a cap on the oil and gas sector. Nobody in Alberta had heard of it. Like, what, what do you talk, you know what I mean? Like, you can't make an announcement like that before you've even so much as had a conversation with the provinces. Like, it's just, it's just, it, it's, it's insane. And of course, of course, he comes back and realizes, yeah, our, our oil and gas emissions plan, there is no plan. It's, it's literally just something he said at Glasgow in order to impress the the Davos set. like there was nothing to it but like you can't go and make an international promise like that without actually getting everyone on board with a general you know agreement because you know ultimately Kenny was quite right to point this out uh jurisdiction over resources is a constant by by the constitution constitution is a provincial mandate so like it's what are yeah. you going to do? Like, you know what I mean? Like you can't, yeah. this, you can only do this cooperatively. 
Yeah, no, um, I, yeah. I mean, and Trudeau likes to like. I've been critical of him. Like he's very perform, like he's performative. Like I'm going to go out yeah. and say this fancy thing, and then I'm going to disappear, and you all can figure it out. It's like you all can figure out the details. I mean, I mean, even Rachel Notley was criticizing Trudeau for doing that. She was like, "What? Like you can't, you can't. Why just oil and gas? Oil and gas accounts for 25 percent of emissions. What about the other 75? Like you know, like transportation." You know, you transportation uh energy energy development mining like there's all kinds of and also i mean a lot of the sorts of um gains that we could make much more easily much more politically easily would be like hey we're going to invest in nuclear (laughs) like like you know we could do stuff like that we could do stuff like that that would that would help upgrade our infrastructure and wouldn't be so politically contentious but you know trudeau wants to secure when and looks good look good in glasgow so there you go i mean you know it's 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 Alberta's not wrong to be pissed off. It's not. It's just I'd be the, pissed if I were you. I'd be yeah, I'd I mean, be really pissed if I was I mean, Alberta. I, yeah, Alberta's not wrong to be angry. Alberta's anger is justified. The problem is that we don't have the balls to do anything about it. Like we're not going to separate. So there's no leverage. There's just no leverage. So I know you said Alberta is unpredictable. Um, and you know, we all know the week is long time politics, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there are some dates coming up. So if you had to either predict or if there's stuff to watch, if our listeners need to watch things, cause you know, what would you rec- like, what do you think we should look for? And if you have any predictions by all means, yeah, I would say 50, 50 chance Kenny is out by December 50, 50 chances where I'd probably put that. Um, and then we're going to see what happens in, uh, March. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my, my only prediction right now. All right. Well, I'll take it. All right. Well, Jen, um, thank you as always. Oh, and how, I guess before we go, how's the line doing? I still, I love right. reading it. It's fabulous. Oh, it's great. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, I was on vacation last week, so I'm back this week mostly. Um, so it's been, it's been great. You should totally subscribe to the line. Yeah. And any like exciting things to read or stuff people should look for you guys have published recently that, that you want to plug? Yeah. Uh, Matt and I are basically both talking about the um, stuff that's happening in BC by the end yeah. of the week. Uh, well, we've, got, we've got a piece coming from Boson Cole and Mike Moffat on monetary policy. It looks like um, inflation's happening again. Wee, the thing that they told us was not going to happen is totally happening. Yeah. Um, big shock. Uh, so that's something to watch for. And I think Matt and I are both talking about what's happening in BC. Um, Matt's taking the angle about the military. You know, we have just catastrophically underfunded our military resources for the last generation. And I think I'm going to extend on that into a conversation about climate change. I mean, very frequently when we get, when we talk about climate change, we get caught up in these nerdy little carbon tax, you know, carbon taxes are good. Carbon taxes are bad. You could wipe Canada. I mean, I'm pro carbon tax. I do think that you, you, you need those, those policies for a lot of different reasons, but you know, you could wipe Canada off the map and it would make no difference to climate change or global emissions. We don't produce enough emissions because we don't have enough people here. Um, the major issues when it comes to climate change that we are going to have to deal with as a nation are going to be disasters and migration of humans. Um, we're seeing that in BC right now. It's been uh, heat heat um, uh, uh, issues, lit and burning down. Um, three solid months of, of forest fires and air quality issues, um, followed by catastrophic uh, flash flooding. Of course, here in Calgary, we had catastrophic flash flooding in 2013. And so what we're starting to see now is that we seem to be in a, in a zone that is particularly, because of the size of our, our, our nation, we're in a zone that is, is particularly vulnerable to extreme climatic events. 
So we need to be much more prepared for disaster mitigation and compounding disaster mitigation. We need to start really investing in infrastructure. We need to start really investing in, in all these things to prepare for things that we ultimately can't control. Like we can't control whether or not the US and China and, and India slow down their emissions. Ultimately, like we can participate in that dialogue, but we can't make them. So if they continue to spew carbon emissions at the rate that they are, we're going to have to be able to manage that situation um, and prepare for the disasters that, that will absolutely inevitably come. So BC will remind us of that. We will learn no lessons once again, because our country has like allowed its institutional capacity to decay to the point of uselessness. And um, this is me gonna be saying, I told you so. All right. Well, she's very funny when she tells I told you so and very direct. So it's the line.ca. You should subscribe or read it. I, I am a subscriber and I think it's fabulous. So thank you for coming on, Jen, as always. We appreciate your perspective and your no bullshit talk and take thank on all things much. Alberta. Anytime. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Kimberly Draypack, Matthew Barnes, and Thomas Ashcroft. A very special thank you goes out to this week's guest, Jen Gerson. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Poly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.